part four, God's will. So we just finished talking about um, God's timing and how Job pulled the promise down 2,500 years prior to the timing. He pulled, just reached through every timing barrier and just pulled down in heaven, you know? And Mary could give a rip about God's timing. And she told them, just go do whatever Jesus said, even though it wasn't Jesus' hour, you know, to perform miracles. Uh, she said, just do it anyway. So there's something about our faith. Our faith moves mountains, okay? Um, and so it, 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 it just violates God's timing. It, I mean, I, there's nothing in the Scripture that even talks about the, the timing of God being that important, you know? It's, it's set in a time, but it's not necessary. If I break the timing of God, God still gets glory, see? In fact, He gets more glory. There's a resurrection that comes to the end, but when somebody gets resurrected today, that's violating God's timing. You see, we're supposed to be raised in the last day, but now you're going to get resurrected now? Yeah, that's violating God's timing. Um, I know that people aren't going to like that. Probably people are going to say something about violating God's timing. Like, but people get so hung up on their doctrines. They like worship their doctrines. But I'm telling you, Jesus never taught about this. He didn't really talk, talk, talk about God's timing as being a reason why someone doesn't get healed or, or whatever. <clears throat> Uh, I wasn't recording on this thing. Oops. So anyway, faith, trust, give things, part four, God's will. Okay? Anyway, God's timing, again, like I said, it's not something that Jesus really taught as a reason why people didn't get healed. Um, it was the opposite. He talked about faith. And, and Mary, she violated that timing. So, all right, <clears throat> we are supposed to hear God's voice. So God's will. We're going to talk about God's will. Um, before we talk about this, we're talking about um, faith and unbelief um a lot of times people want to know well you know when we talk about faith and unbelief when we talk about how someone just has to have faith and that if someone doesn't get healed it's because of unbelief you know uh when we talk about this there's there's the scriptures we're going to talk about faith and i want to talk about i'm going to capitalize on faith and unbelief you can have faith and unbelief at the same time this is important to know this is why we're there we're the disciples we're trying to cast that demon out of that boy and the father comes up to him and says hey um you know uh he says if you can do anything you know, help me. And, and, and Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And then the Father says, I believe. Help my unbelief. All right? So they, you have to understand, too, in Matthew chapter 7, they were casting demons out. I mean, in Matthew chapter 17, they couldn't cast this demon out. But in Matthew chapter 10, they were already casting demons out. So obviously the disciples had uh, the authority to cast demons out, but now they couldn't cast a demon out. So it had nothing to do with the authority. It had everything to do with their unbelief. It had nothing to do with the giftings. It had everything to do with their unbelief. So, and, and, and Jesus never, ever taught about how, well, this doesn't happen for you because you're not gifted in it. You know, we want to teach that all the time. I, I, I get aggravated with the fact that we teach all the time stuff that Jesus never taught. You know, I mean, like, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. God's will, right? So many times we pray for somebody, they don't get healed, and somebody will say, well, maybe it's just not God's will. It's such a huge doctrine, such a huge teaching in the church. And I'm thinking to myself, if it's that big of a deal, how come Jesus never once ever talked about it? You would think that the guy who who really taught us how to operate in faith and, be and believe for people to get healed, would at least have one lesson in four Gospels. So one lesson in there to teach us 
about how, well, sometimes, you know, when someone doesn't get healed, it's because it's not the will of God. Jesus never taught that, though. The only time that he, it, the only time someone didn't get healed, Jesus didn't talk about will, he talked about faith. <laughs> but people don't want to talk about faith. You know why? Because then they can't blame God. They gotta blame themselves. You know, look, if, if I can if I can say God's will, you know, people like big government. They always want to blame the government. It's Barack Obama's fault. Oh, it's President Bush's fault. Or it's God's fault. People don't want to take responsibility. If we understood that we were the ones that were given authority over the earth, that we have a responsibility to bring restitution and bring redemption to this earth and make things right, then it's wrong for me to walk by a blind person for them not to get healed. If we could understand that it's supposed to be abnormal, then we wouldn't be blaming God anymore. We would be recognizing, hey, there's something wrong with the Christian life. There's something wrong with my Christian walk. Why am I not being Jesus to the world? You see? I have a teaching, um, I can't remember what it's, taught, what it's called, but I open up the teaching and I say, <clears throat> if Jesus was the king of Brownwood, Texas, if he was in Brownwood, Texas, do you think there would be anyone sick in Brownwood? No, everybody would come to Jesus. Come, Jesus, heal me! And everybody would get healed. But we, we forget that Jesus lives in the sight of us. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. I'm the hands and feet of Jesus. So Jesus is in Brownwood, Texas. Why are there any sick people in Brownwood? Because we just don't believe. We don't understand. Lack of knowledge prevents us from operating in faith. Lack of understanding and wisdom we are supposed to hear God's voice. This is where faith comes from. Faith doesn't come from being unsure. Let's put it that way. So when we start talking about God's will, oftentimes it's because people are unsure. When people pray that prayer, if it be thy will, that is such an unconfident prayer. There is absolutely no faith in the prayer, if it be thy will. You know, if it's, if, you're, if it's your will, God, then you heal this guy. There's no confidence in that. That is throwing it up like dice. Just, let me roll the dice. Let's play the luck game. God's not luck. we got to stop treating him like he's just a chance game. Let me, you know what we, what we do when we do that? We're worshiping Yahtzee. Let me just call it. Instead of Yahweh, it's Yahtzee. <laughs> you know, <laughs> play Yahtzee, full house, and whatever. You know, God is not Yahtzee. Stop rolling our dice with God. We have to know what He says. Faith comes by hearing. If you didn't hear anything, you won't be able to believe anything. Oh, I know what I was going to talk about Peter walking on the water. Listen. Oh, I know what I was going to talk about too. The seed, and no doubt. Alright, that's what I was going to do. Okay, let's talk about these two things, then we'll get to God's will, okay? Peter walks on the water, right? First of all, Jesus didn't tell Peter to come out on the water. It wasn't Jesus' idea, it was Peter's idea. Now, that's pretty interesting in itself. It wasn't like Peter had this epiphany. Well, hey, God just told me I need to walk on the water. No, he looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, you're out on the water. I want to be there too. 
when it comes to faith, it has to be, it has more to do with seeing what my father is doing. Jesus said, I don't do anything I don't see my father doing. So when Peter saw Jesus walking in the water, Peter's like, I want some of that. It wasn't like waiting for God to just call him out there. He, he said, if that's you, call me out on the water. He didn't give him a choice. So what is Jesus going to be like? Well, it's not me. <laughs> no, if it's you, it's like a condition. Hey, if that's you, call me out on the water. Well, it is me. So I guess I'll call you out on the water. It's like he twisted his arm. Jesus didn't have a choice. You know? If that's you, call me out on the water. Okay, come on out. So he just think about this for a minute. You have to have faith, right, to step out on that water. And there, there isn't no one in this room that would look at Peter and say, you didn't have any faith. That's faith. You were walking on water, dude. He had faith. But you know what happened? He gets on the water, he starts walking, and then it says he saw the wind. And then he started to sink. And then he yelled out, Jesus, Jesus, help me. And he reached down and picked him up and he says, oh, you of little faith. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh my gosh! Peter's walking on the water. Jesus, come on, give a cut him a little slack. <laughs> oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. <laughs> oh my gosh. Come on, right? Jesus, he, he was better than the rest of the guys. Everybody else decided to stay in the boat. He's walking on the water. Oh, you of little faith. But Jesus is trying to see. Jesus is never satisfied with our level of faith. Always beckoning us to deeper faith. Oh, you of little faith. Watch this. Why did you doubt? What was the source of his doubt? Why did you doubt? He didn't, you know what he should have said? I saw the wind. That's what he should have said. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? I saw the wind. That's a good answer, Peter. You looked at the wind. Instead of listening to the word. You looked with your eyes. You looked at the experience. You allowed your experience, the wind blowing, to fall to your faith of what you heard. I said, come. I said, come. Come on the water. Forget about what you're seeing. So you see that this man right here, he had faith, and then he had unbelief. He was operating in the miracle, but his unbelief stopped it. This is important. We have to understand that it took faith for Jesus, for Peter to walk on that water. There is no question in my mind that he was walking in faith. How do I know? Because Jesus said when he started sinking, he had doubt. So faith allowed him to walk on the water, and doubt caused him to sink. They're two different things. You can have faith and unbelief at the same time. Faith got him out of the boat. Faith got him walking on the water. Unbelief caused him to sink. If it was opposite, he never would have got out of the boat. Unbelief would have kept him in the boat. You see? If he had unbelief before he got out of the boat, well, he would have never got out of the boat. He would have stayed in the boat. Mm. But his faith got him out of the boat. His unbelief got him to sink. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yep. You can have faith and unbelief at the same time. He didn't say that he had no faith. Look, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? You, little, look, you had little faith. You had faith. Look, look, boy, you had faith. Good job. But then you had doubt. <laughs> so he was commending him on his faith. 
But then explain to him why he de- why he started to sing. Just powerful stuff right here. All right. So here's what I found. What is little faith? All right. So we already looked at uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. It says, if you have faith in the mustard seed, you can say to this mountain from here, right? So the question a lot of times people say, well, if you have faith of a mustard seed. Now, keep this in mind. He told them, he says, because of your little faith, right? Or because of your unbelief, right? And then right there, he says, faith of a mustard seed. So wait a minute, Jesus. You're saying if I have, he was rebuking them for their little faith. And then he told them, if you had faith of a mustard seed, you could say this mountain. So what is it, Jesus? It's a problem to have little faith. But if you have little faith, you can move a mountain. Does that make sense? See how that seems backwards? Wait, wait a minute, Jesus. You said that the problem was little faith. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt, right? So we see the little faith seems to be a problem. You, you shouldn't have little faith. That's not good to have, apparently. But then people say all the time, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move this mountain. What's wrong with this thinking? Why, 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 why do we keep teaching that the mustard seed is the size of faith? If you just have a little bit of faith, you can say the mountain. But over here it says, little faith is not a good thing. <laughs> right? What is it? What? Maybe we don't understand. Maybe it's maybe the scripture says faith as a mustard seed, right? And, or as small as a mustard seed. Right? So check this out. Matthew, let's go to Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. It says... <clears throat> For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed. So this doesn't even say the size. It says like. If you have faith like a mustard seed. Alright. People have translated that as the size. What if it's not the size? Because if it is the size, previously, right before that, he said... Oh, because of your little faith. Right? So maybe we're misunderstanding the little thing. Maybe it's not about little faith. Maybe it's about how you faith. Okay, watch this. So uh, we're going to go over here to Matthew, Mark chapter Mark chapter 11. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. Okay, alright. Now, this is answer right here. You have to have faith and do not doubt in your heart. Make sense? It says right here, <clears throat> and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. All right, go over here to Matthew chapter 21. Verse 21. This is Matthew, not Mark. Matthew 21, 21. Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. So we find that it, this is the mustard seed, right? This is do not doubt. So here's what I found. Mustard seed faith has nothing to do with the size. Here's what mustard seed faith is. Mustard seed faith is faith without doubt. 
according, if you, all these passages talk about moving a mountain, right? So I use, I figured, you know what, if we want to, how are we going to move a mountain? With a mustard seed faith. But what is a mustard seed faith? Well, let's look at the other passages that talk about moving a mountain. You can't doubt in your heart. It's faith that does not doubt. So a mustard seed faith is faith that does not doubt. When most people talk about God's will, they mean whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Faith, chance. That's not faith. That's not even in the Bible. Okay? The idea of Calvinism is so evil that Jesus says those people will perish with the unbelievers. Okay? Talking about Calvinism, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like all things is gonna happen, is that's the will of God, is whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. You know, predetermined life. Pre yeah, predetermined life, the elite, you know, things like that, right? So Calvinism is so Calvinism is so bad. What Calvinism eventually does is it leads to passivity. Calvinism in its purest form, Calvinism in purity is passive, is passivity. It means what why what if you really are a full blown Calvin, you you won't work. There's no point in working. Because God's gonna do whatever he's gonna do anyway. What's the point of me preaching the gospel if if it's already predetermined who's gonna go to heaven? God's gonna save whoever he wants to save. And but people treat the spiritual gifts like Calvinism. They say, Well, if God's just gonna give me a gift, it's just gonna drop on me. You see? If God's gonna heal me, it's just gonna happen. It it removes your effort, it removes faith out of the equation. Is whatever happens, happens. There's no faith in that. Why? Because faith requires a word. You cannot have faith if you haven't heard. Let's say that again. Faith requires a word. Calvinism doesn't require a word. Believing that whatever's going to happen is going to happen doesn't require you to hear God. It just requires you to sit there and be passive. You don't have to do nothing. You don't have to believe God through difficulty. You don't have to believe for something even though obstacles come your way. But every time they talk about someone being pleasing to God in the scripture because of their faith, it's because they heard God and then despite the difficulties they pressed through. They didn't allow the situation to say, to dictate what God's will was. Well, it must be God's will for me to have all this calamity, Job, right? No, he saw past it. My Redeemer lives. He pushed through, and he grabbed a hold of something, you know. Um, Moses and the Israelites sitting there with the, with the Red Sea and the, the mountains in the Red Sea, right? The people, the Egyptians come up on top of the mountain, and they're about to kill them all. And they're, the people are all worried, oh, is it because there was not enough graves in Egypt that you let us out here in the wilderness to die? And Moses is like, shut up, stand firm, know what God said is before you today, all these Egyptians are going to die. What? There's an army of men with chariots and stuff. Like, what's wrong with you, Moses? You know, this is me paraphrasing. Um, you know, <laughs> what's wrong with you, Moses? And then he's like, just be quiet, stand firm, and know that God's going to fight your battle today. How does he know that? How, how can he stand there when they, when they have nowhere to go, they have no army, they have no fighters, they have no weapons, they're just slaves, and here's this fully trained empire army on a mountain going to come slay them. Just going to kill them all. How can you believe that, Moses? Because he had a word. What's that in your hand, Moses? Staff. Go part the Red Sea. Part the Red Sea? Part the Red Sea? Could you imagine hearing God tell you to do that? Hey, just go take your staff and part the Red Sea. Part the Red Sea. God, are you alone? Part the Red Sea. 
I mean, think about this. You know, we don't think nothing of it because we already know the end of the story. Imagine being an Israelite, not knowing the end of the story. There's a sea, and there's mountains, there's the army. Where's God? <laughs> God, did you just lead us out here in this little trap? You know, they were going around the ocean, right? They were going around the sea, and God said, no, turn back. God, we, you took us to this place. The word, the word that they were at is called Pi-Haharoth. Yeah, it means the, the enclosed place. Trapped. He brought them back to a place that trapped them. Here, let me... It actually means hemmed in by the desert. And the Pharaoh knew they were there. He's like, look, they're hemmed in by the desert. We're going to go get them. That God of theirs led them right into a trap. Right? So the, he intentionally led them into a spot where it was impossible for them to win. <laughs> go part the Red Sea. So he parts the Red Sea. Boom! Right? I'm like, Guinness. He heard a word from God, and despite what he saw with his eyes, he had to believe God in the moment. That's faith. If you don't have a word from God, and you have an impossible situation, you're screwed. You need a word from God. And you're not going to sit here and believe, well, whatever happens, happens. Stop that. It's not going to give God any glory. It doesn't give God glory. You know what gives God glory? When God tells you something when it's impossible and then it comes through. And you go around and start telling everybody. Like whenever my car broke down. And I started telling everybody God's going to give me a new car. And three months later, God gave me a new car. And I even tried to buy a car. And God didn't allow me to buy the car. The woman, the, the lawyer calls me up and says, Hey, that woman, she can't sell you the car because she doesn't own anything. The government owns all her stuff. She can't sell anything. She's not legally allowed to. But you know what? She can give it to you. And I tried to buy it from her, but God still had told me, I'm going to give you a car. And I went around and told her, God's going to give me a car. I called my dad, hey, dad, God's going to give me a car, and you're not going to give me a car. Why? Because my dad had already given me two cars. And I said, you're not going to give me a car, but God is going to give me a car. Three months later, we get a car. Wow. But you have to have a word from God. You have to stand on it. It looks impossible. We, didn't have, we couldn't really afford that $3,000 we were going to try to spend on it. We had debts to pay. So when we got that new car, we took all that money we were going to buy the car. We go pay our debts off. You know, God made me debt free in one year on a $30,000 um, salary with, I think, two kids. That was good. That's not, okay. So the idea of Calvinism is so, so evil. Jesus says that those people will perish with the unbelievers. Matthew chapter 25, verse 24 through 30. Matthew 25. <clears throat> Twenty-four through thirty. He also who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. In other words, I don't have to do nothing. God's still going to win in the end. He's sovereign, right? People say that all the time. Well, God's a sovereign God. He's the one who makes everything happen. So I don't have to work. I don't have to do nothing. I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you do not sow, and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and together where I scattered no seed? You ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received it with my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he who he will have in abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And to cast that worthless servant into the darkness. Golly. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Huh? <laughs> also, the only time you hear this prayer is in the garden. The prayer of, if it be thy will. Right? Mm -hmm. Jesus. But that's not an example prayer. When the disciples said to him, hey, teach us how to pray, Jesus didn't say, we'll pray like this, if it be thy will. <laughs> he didn't teach him that. <laughs> but in the, in the garden he prayed that. Watch this, Matthew chapter 26. Sorry, I'm excited, guys. Thanks for letting me preach. Matthew 26, starting 9. And going a little farther, he fell on his faith and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Watch this. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The problem with using this scripture is that Jesus already knew the will of God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He knew the will of God when he was praying that prayer. Mm -hmm. He was just trying to get God to change his mind. You know what he was doing? He already had a word from God. You're going to die. That's what he heard. He already had a word. I'm sorry. I don't mean to make light of that. But I think it's hilarious. People try to use this verse all the time. He already had a word from God. You will die on the cross. He already prophesied about it. I think, what, three chapters before that? The, the Son of Man will... Like, right from them. Right. Yeah. He's like, the Son of Man's going to die, he's going to be betrayed. Yeah. He prophesied, I think, three chapters before that, or at least three times. I can't remember how many. Several times he yes. prophesied about how he was going to die on the cross. He was going to die. Mm -hmm. The Son of Man must be handed over to be judged and condemned to death, and on the third day, rise again. Jesus was preaching about his death and burial and resurrection, and now he's praying to God, waiting for a new word. What do I mean by that? Well, Abraham heard from God, kill your son. When he got on the mountain, he was going to kill his son, and he heard another word, stop. So this is Jesus. If it's possible, God, if there's a plan C, <laughs> oh my God. just tell me. Why? Because Jesus is a man of faith. He's going to believe what God says to him. And if God changes it at the last minute, because he knows that nothing's, that could be possible, right? He's waiting for the word from God. Maybe God's going to change it at the last minute. And then he'll submit to that word. But guess what? If God doesn't change it, he's going to submit to that word. It Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. In other words, God, I know you're not going to change your mind. So yes, sir. So when he prayed that prayer, if it be thy will... Nevertheless, if it's your, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was literally submitting to the word that he heard from God. He believed that he would die and rise again on the third day. That was the belief system he was riding on. He believed that. He wasn't trying to, well, whatever happens, happens, God. No, he knew. <laughs> he knew the answer already. But the problem is when we pray that prayer, we don't know. If whatever is your will, God, we're praying that because we don't know the will of God. It's the absolute worst way to pray that prayer. The only way to pray that prayer is if you already know what God's saying and you're submitting to what he has to say. Not my will, but your will. God, can I quit the barracks? It's too hard. Not my will, but your will. Yes, sir, I'll stay. You see? That's what that prayer is for. It's a submission prayer. It's not a prayer of copping out of faith. But people use it all the time to cop out of their faith. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm too excited about this. He knew the will of God. It was more like him as saying, yes, sir, I will obey whatever, what I already know and I'm supposed to do. Okay? But most people, when they pray the prayer, they don't know the will of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Jesus was positioning himself in a place to hear God. 
He was secretly hoping for the last-minute change of plans that God gave Abraham. <laughs> I already said this, but... But by faith, he obeyed God and humbled himself even to the point of death. Jesus wasn't wishfully thinking. That's what most people are doing when they pray that prayer. He knew without a doubt that he would die on the cross and be resurrected. And, oh, it was nine chapters. He prophesied nine chapters ahead of time. It wasn't like he was sprung up on him last minute. Matthew 17, 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Okay, so that was chapter 17. Matthew 26 is when he said, If it be thy will. Matthew chapter 17, he says, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. He was waiting to hear a fresh word from God. Then he would build his faith on that, not wait and see if the guards would come and get him and determine at that, at that point whether he was going to die. <laughs> we need a word from God on whether we will reach the other side or not, and then put our faith on what we hear, not what we see. You can see that when the disciples were caught in the storm, okay? Um, but too often we look at our surroundings to determine whether or not God is for or against us. Your surroundings don't determine whether God's for or against you. The Word of God determines that. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Through 40. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking in the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're patient? Listen, here's what happens. When people talk about the will of God, they're talking about his desire. Look, the will of God is his desire. Well, it's not the will of God. In other words, God doesn't want to heal you. That's what you're saying. When you say, well, it's not God's will. You know, have you ever heard a father who had a, who had a son with a broken arm, and he's like, man, I wish I could take his place? Huh. You know? Yet people don't think that God did that, took our place. He did take our place in Jesus, right? right. But we want to be like, why, are we, why all of a sudden is a father... The will of God, God. is his desire. <clears throat> but we want to look at it and say, you know, oh, my son broke his arm, I wish I could take his place. And we, all of a sudden, we, we, we're making ourselves more compassionate than God. God's way more compassionate than us. He took a scourging for us. He took a beating, got punched in the face, put thorns on his head, bled down his face, bled down his back, skin coming off, crucified on the cross. He took our spot already. He had compassion. Every time Jesus healed somebody, it was by compassion. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So when things started going wrong, and they started looking at their experience, they started questioning the character of Jesus. Does God even care? Yes, He cares. <laughs> do you know that the, the storm doesn't move God? The storm you're going through doesn't move God. You know what moves God? You know what woke Jesus up? It wasn't the storm. He got sprayed on the face. I mean, he was... Have you ever got dunked with water? It does, you don't sleep through that. It, it, it was tossing him to and fro. Here's Jesus on the boat. Tossing him to and fro. Water's coming in. You know he's getting wet. There's no, how in the world is he sleeping? Because Jesus is perfect peace. 
Jesus has perfect peace. The only thing that moved Jesus was his disciples. Freaking out. It, listen, that the whole boat's shaking. This is what woke Jesus up. Jesus! Jesus! The only thing that can move God is his children. Your storm isn't going to move God. God's not going to respond to your storm. God's going to respond to you. Keep that in mind. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Alright, so he re... Okay, it's with Jesus. <laughs> that faith thing again. <laughs> ah! Jesus is sleeping. Nothing can wake him up except his disciples wake him up. Right? <gasps> Wakes up. And then, so he's full of peace. Listen, you can't give something you don't have. He had perfect peace. He slept soundly. <laughs> he slept soundly because of the peace. Okay? He was peaceful the whole time. They woke him, and he took what was inside of him, and he put it in the environment. If the storm is going on the outside, what that usually means is that there's a storm on the inside. You're going to create the environment based off what's on the inside of you. Your environment will literally shift based on what's happening inside of you. If you have peace, your environment will change to peace. The disciples, they didn't have no peace. So what's Jesus do? He rebukes the storm, and then he rebukes his disciples. <laughs> peace be still. You, hey, peace be still. Shut up. Be still. Stop freaking out. <laughs> Sorry, that was me. That's the Spiegel uh, translation. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? He rebuked the, the storm, and then he rebuked his disciples. You have to have peace in the middle of the storm. If you have peace in the middle of the storm, the storm will become peaceful. You can speak to that thing and be, you shut up, storm. Be quiet. Stop screaming. Stop throwing a temper tantrum. That's what it's doing. It's kind of like my children dealing with my wife and my children dealing with me. They'll, you know, they're all crazy. Because my wife's all crazy on the inside. She has no peace. Sometimes. That's saying all the time. But a lot of times, my wife don't have peace. Guess what? She's with the kids, and they're going crazy. She's coming to me and saying, Who pulled my hair out of my head? She's the kid that went crazy, dog! So I go in there, I walk in the room. Peace. <laughs> I guess I'm peaceful. I don't let that stuff get to me, you know? My children respond. Your children will respond to peace. If you're not peaceful, though, they'll be unpeaceful. They know. They feel it. I'm telling you. And people, too. You can walk in the room. If you're unpeaceful and you're a leader, the people that are following you are unpeaceful. If you're peaceful and you're a leader, you walk in the room, they can be unpeaceful, but all of a sudden you walk in the room, you bring peace. They're like, ah, oh, the leader's here and he's peaceful. Right? Felt that way? <laughs> it's true. All right, here's a parallel. Luke 8, okay, so he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Luke 8, 25, the parallel says, and he said to them, where is your faith? Mm. Jesus expects us to hear God and believe, and then speak to our storm and watch it calm, 
Speak to our mountains, watch them move. Speak to the infirmity and watch it be healed. Speak. You have to believe and speak. When we pray, we should pray like the real example prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no sick people in heaven, dude. We are called to bring the kingdom of God with us. If the kingdom of God is not in you, ruling and reigning and bringing peace in you, you can't bring the kingdom of God in your environment. You're an ambassador. You are like a, an embassy, a walking, talking, breathing embassy. You know, if you go in another country and you step on an embassy, it's equivalent to walking on American soil. All the laws and everything that are in America apply within those gates. But you are a walking, talking, breathing embassy of God. When you walk around, a little piece of heaven is walking. <laughs> and you're making camp. Put up your flag. Now this place belongs to the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Luke 17, verse 20, 21. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he asked them, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with, obser with observation, nor will they say, Hey, see here, or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Where the kingdom of God is, there is deliverance for the captives. Luke chapter, nine, verse, Luke chapter 10, verse 9. It says, And heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. When you heal the sick, it's because the kingdom of God has come near you. Why? Because there's no sickness in heaven. So when the kingdom of God is in you, and you go to somebody else, and you say, hey, I'm walking in this presence. I'm just not letting you know it's illegal for deaf people to be in the presence and to be in the kingdom of heaven. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be deaf anymore. Well, guess what? The kingdom of heaven resides in me. It's within me. So I'm going to come up to you. I'm going to touch you. And now the kingdom of God is going to invade your life. That's how we should live. <laughs> we are literally invading earth with the kingdom of God. Everyone talks about, oh, we're going to die and go to heaven. The scripture teaches the, the opposite. We're not going to heaven. Heaven's coming here. It's like a bubble home. <laughs> Wide load. <laughs> I'm the pilot car right in front. Wide load. Here it comes. Bringing the kingdom right here. Luke chapter 11, verse 20. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God... Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Hmm. So we know that where the kingdom of God is, the, the power of darkness cannot rule. The power of darkness cannot reign. And this is why Jesus came into the world, to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Hey, thank you for watching and listening to this message. Be sure to hit the like button, share it to your friends, and subscribe to our channel for more content every single week. And if you haven't yet, be sure to visit our website at bombzs.com. We have a lot of content there and a lot of things that are absolutely free. So be sure to utilize us as much as possible. We hope that you were blessed by this message. Till next time, have a blessed day.